Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, stocks are down, bonds are down. Are there any alternatives? We'll take a deep dive into liquid alternatives. What are they? How can we use them? And do they make sense in the current market? That's with our guest, Josh Emanuel, Chief Investment Officer at Wilshire Advisors. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. We're closing out the first half of the year as we record this. So I wanted to take a quick look back at where we've been and where we might be headed. So what are the standout moments or trends for you for the first six months of 2022? And where do you predict the markets are going to go after for the next six months? Well, needless to say, it's been a pretty tough start to the year. So just remember, at the end of last year, we had some of the best returns ever for the stock market over the trailing three and five years. And for balanced portfolios, there were a few years in the late 90s that were better, but we had great returns. So it was kind of, I guess, to be expected that eventually we'd take a step back before the two steps forward. But obviously, we've got inflation, and now the Fed's doing its thing. So there is fighting the Fed. You don't want to do that. And obviously, that puts pressure on the market. We also are in a midterm election cycle, and usually the market is not very strong during this part of the election cycle. Now we're even fighting seasonal tendencies. So there's a lot of things conspiring towards kind of weaker returns right now. So to get to the other question, the last half of the year, you know, we should be on the other side of a lot of this stuff. So hopefully we've had the positive refresh. Hopefully we're on the other side of peak inflation. We'll be on the other side of seasonals. We'll be the other side of the election. So hopefully the outlook's a lot brighter. But you know, that's just my view. It would be really, really cool to get a view from a chief investment officer for a firm that manages over a trillion dollars under advisement. And I'm sure my stats are even understating what Wilshire Advisors has. So with that, let's bring on Josh. All right, let's bring him in. Josh Emanuel, chief investment officer at Wilshire Advisors in Santa Monica. Josh, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Thank you for having me. Rusty and Robin, it's great to be here and look forward to a, an engaging conversation on markets. Excellent. First of all, did I have my stats right? Eight trillion and over 600 institutional advisors. So, you know, the eight trillion, I think you're referencing, you know, under advisement. Yeah. It's up there in terms of under advisement. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. So let's get started with the all important question. And that is, what is your walk-up song? Let's set the mood for this podcast interview. So my walk-up song is Gimme Shelter, Rolling Stones. I'm a big Stones fan. I saw them recently here uh, nice. in Los Angeles. I uh, always enjoy that song for a variety of reasons. And in this environment, it makes a lot of sense. It sure does. Gimme yeah. Shelter from all the volatility, all the madness. And you know, if you look at uh, inflation, as you were discussing earlier, shelter is a, a key part of what everybody's focused on today in terms of the stickier components of inflation. Exactly. Well, before we get to all of that, tell us a bit about your background and your work at Wilshire Advisors. 
you know, I actually I joined Wilshire originally in 2004. I was, you know, with another consulting firm for a number of years. I joined in 04. I was head of manager research for a number of years at Wilshire before actually making an entrepreneurial jump in 2010 to launch a turnkey asset management business, similar to what you offer to the market today, actually, that, that evolved into a variety of kind of you know, ETF and technology-related solutions. Rejoined Wilshire in 2015 as chief investment officer, and uh, you know today responsible for overseeing um, all of our solutions with respect to investment management. So all of the you know discretionary and advisory solutions on the investment management side that we offer to the market, you know to uh, you know institutions in terms of our discretionary OCIO business, financial intermediaries, various uh, sorts of solutions that we offer to you know, independent broker dealers insurance companies and then you know we are a manufacturer of you know product and solutions that we deliver direct to you know RIAs financial advisors and their end uh, you know clients well we have a lot to talk about today but first i wanted to ask about a weekly series you publish at Wilshire called the Monday Market Flash tell us more about that segment yeah so the Monday Market Flash is about a 10 minute you know webcast that we do every monday morning we send out and it's really meant to just you know, highlight for investors and advisors what took place in the week prior. You know, we typically cover you know the performance of various markets, discuss the economic data that was you know recently released over that week, and then typically try and bring you know some unique insights to that data as it relates to you know peeling back the onion on you know last week for example you know we talked about you know what were the underlying drivers of inflation. What are the implications of you know, your trade balance on nominal growth? What are the risks to nominal growth or growth as a result of inflation? And what are rates markets pricing in today? So it's really meant to be a quick summary for investors as they head into the week on Monday morning. As we just discussed, it's been a really rough six months for the markets. Let's get your take on the markets today and your outlook for the rest of the year. It's been a, you know, obviously a tough start to the year, you know, in an environment where, frankly, equity valuations weren't you know, very rich per se coming into 2022. But, you know, really, I think what has, you know, shifted the landscape pretty aggressively was the move in interest rates, right? So, you know, the, the big move in rates really shrinks that equity risk premium. And that really led to, I think, some significant valuation issues. And the move in rates is really a function of, you know, much stickier inflation than I think many folks were expecting. The good news is, you know, despite all of the volatility and what has really been a valuation-based correction in equity markets, a lot of the fundamentals are still pretty strong. So the earnings picture, although there has been some negative guidance, has still been strong here in 2022 and is actually still expected to be relatively strong in 2023. Nominal growth has also been strong in 2022. The challenge has been obviously the inflationary pressure and the penalty on real growth as a result of that. And that's certainly something that I think many are focused on as it relates to kind of expecting a recession going forward. But when you look at the underlying data and you look at the health of the U.S. consumer, consumption is still really strong, frankly. And, you know, I think there's, you know, there's still an argument for some degree of optimism depending on obviously how you know your fed policy evolves and how the data evolves but you know i think markets are pricing in quite a bit of risk today i mean you look at the move in bonds you know the 10 year today at 350 uh, you look at the move in the dollar uh, if you look at you know commodities you look at the, the correction in equity prices and just look at the deleveraging that's occurred in the crypto space 
there's been a lot of you know repricing in markets already, and I think that could lend to opportunity for investors here. But again, likely to face some volatility here in the short term. Well, speaking of the volatility, so many investors right now are looking for additional ways to diversify stock market risk, but they're not as keen on traditional investment grade fixed income to do all the work alone. So they're looking into liquid alternatives, which have now outperformed again an investment grade bond market, really all relevant timeframes going back over at least, at least 10 years now. So let's dive into this asset class. First, can you explain what liquid alternatives are and how they work? Yeah, absolutely. So liquid alternatives are alternative solutions that are you know, typically we refer to them as you know daily liquid. I think for the purpose of this call and the constituents who are likely listening to this, you know, think about the mutual fund landscape. There's been a tremendous amount of evolution in terms of the availability of investment solutions that are intended to be less correlated to traditional markets, right? So uh, less reliant on equity risk um, or you know fixed income risk, interest rate risk, credit risk, and have much more flexibility to you know deploy capital, express investment views, long, short uh, utilization of derivatives. So some examples would be you know a long short equity fund where instead of simply being long equities, managers can both go long equities and short equities that they you know believe to be out of favor in this environment. And you know that's one that has proven to be, I think, particularly for those market neutral funds where you have the opportunity, for example, to be short growth, long value as an example, um, it is a you know an, an opportunistic way of expressing views in the market, more flexible in nature. The other is credit, quite fl- frankly, you know, long short credit, uh, another area of the liquid alternatives landscape where you know managers have the opportunity to take less credit risk, to express views on higher quality versus lower quality credits, and to even be short duration or negative duration in terms of interest rate exposure. And then there's a number of you know global macro CTA types of solutions that can you know trade in you know commodity markets long and short, interest rate markets long and short, foreign exchange markets, and so. These solutions, you know, can be beneficial from a portfolio construction perspective because it allows investors to diversify their risk away from the traditional kind of long only sources of return, which as we have seen year to date, whether you're in bonds or equities, there's really been nowhere for you to hide. Indeed. All right. So for financial advisors and investors shopping for a liquid alternative strategy, what are some of the things they should consider? What are some of the pros and cons of liquid alternatives? So the you know the pros they can give you a return profile that is uncorrelated to the stocks and bonds in your portfolio and you know that's really important to help navigate through volatile times and help control behavior right so you know I think the biggest challenge for many you know financial advisors and even for investors is managing emotion and so to the extent that you can smooth out that experience for them in more volatile times, you can help control that emotion, keep them in their seats so they can you know, you know, achieve their financial destination. So that's a really important value in terms of liquid alternatives. Now, the drawback is they tend to come with higher fees and higher complexity as well. So you, know, you want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth in terms of your fee budget that you have in a client portfolio. And you want to make sure that you can appropriately due diligence these strategies so that you know ultimately what you're getting from a portfolio perspective. These solutions can deploy leverage. They can be speculative at times. 
and they may deliver results that may not be consistent with what you're expecting if you don't appropriately understand the strategy. And so we always encourage deploying professional investors who can truly evaluate these types of solutions and select them for use in portfolios. Well, let's go through some basics on how to buy and use liquid alternatives. How would investors shop for them and how should they be used and sized in portfolios? So in terms of you know how to do diligence liquid alternatives, you know, there's if you wanted to 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 kind of do a screen for them, you could use a variety of different third-party databases. You know, you want to use you know, Morningstar or other types of you know third-party databases to screen the universe. They have liquid alternative categories, multi-strategy as an example, as a category or long short. These are different types of categories that you can look up and then screen for the funds. The challenge, I think, though, in terms of selecting them is that, you know, we always say past performance is not indicative of future results. And so to, you know, a less sophisticated investor, simply chasing that fund, for example, alternative fund that did well in 2021 may not have yielded a strong result in 2022. And I say that because there are always examples of funds who, you know, that maybe drift in terms of the mandate. So maybe they're leaning on equity risk a little bit too much in 2021. And that's really what drove the returns as opposed to something less correlated. And if you chase that performance and you buy that fund in 2022, you might find yourself having significantly underperformed expectations. And that's why you know, it's really important to actually understand the strategy, deploy professional due diligence, actually, you know, understand how they're managing the fund and understand if it's truly going to be uncorrelated. Now, the other part of this, which I think was an important question that you asked, Rob, and relates to how do you use them in a portfolio? How do you size them? And that also relates to understanding how to use these funds. You know, we typically refer to them as you know, directional and diversifying, right? So a directional alternative is one that's a good kind of substitute to your equity risk. And then a and a diversifying fund is one that can be a good substitute to your fixed income risk, as an example. And so um, the, the, the volatility profiles of these different solutions can be different. The underlying instruments that they use in the funds can be very, very different. But how you size them will be a function of how much you want to you know, impact your portfolio's risk level, right? So if you want to bring down risk in a portfolio, understanding where are you concerned? Are you concerned about interest rates? Are you concerned about equity risk? And then substitute out of those segments of the market into these alternatives, directional or diversifying based on the desire to do that substitution. Now, I will tell you in Wilshire portfolios, you know, we have you know, Wilshire you know, Premier Plus portfolios, for example, that we manage. You know, the, the allocation to alternatives can range in those portfolios from about 10 to, you know, 18 or so percent, you know, depending on the environment, a little bit above or below that from a strategic perspective. But that gives you a sense of, you know, how that range gets affected. And actually, we tend to have a higher degree of alternatives when you get to a more balanced portfolio, which may come as a surprise, but that's really a function of the fact that investors that are conservative in nature typically do need a little bit more of an income component, do need more of a conservative portfolio structure, and they have less equity risk to ultimately substitute. And then the same for a growth investor. You know, the expectation is a growth investor likely has the risk profile to be able to stomach the market volatility that we're living through today because of their longer term time horizon. 
Right. And you've talked about this a little bit, but how do liquid alternatives fit into the current market environment? And is this really a good time to look into them? Yeah, I think they fit very well. They've done well on a year-to-date basis. You know, many liquid alternatives, you know, I think the indexes in general, depending on what index you look at, you know, may be slightly negative on a year-to-date basis. But if you look at fixed income and you look at equities, you know, um, equities today, down over 20%, fixed income, depending on the mandate, is you know likely down over 10% for many investors. So in terms of a balanced portfolio, it puts you in a very, very challenged environment. So those investors that have used alternatives and have used them appropriately have generally benefited. Now, multi-strategy is a category where for those investors who don't really have the sophistication to to understand if they want a directional or diversifying, but rather want something more all-weather in nature that can be nimble in different environments. Multi-strategy is a category that is, you know, commonly used by investors as kind of a core anchor to substitute both equity and fixed income risk into one underlying fund, again, you know, ensuring that you understand how that fund is performing. But I say that because in this environment, you know, equities are underperforming and interest rates are moving aggressively higher. And you know, it's bad for duration exposure and it's bad for credit exposure as spreads continue to widen out. So there's definitely relevance here, you know, given the volatility that we're experiencing. Great stuff. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So given your professional background, I'd like to ask a couple different best practices questions. And first, so you've served many years as a head of manager research And so based on your experience in that position, what do you look for investment managers? And I guess related to that, what specific advice do you have for financial advisors selecting investment strategies? So the industry uses a lot of the same types of fundamental qualities that we look for with respect to due diligence. And what I mean by that is, you know, the firm, the people, the process, the performance, um, you know, all of which, you know, we look at. But something that we really focus on at Willisher that I think is really important is, you know, what I refer to as sustainability of alpha. And what I mean by that is we spend a lot of time, aside from just meeting with the managers, understanding how they're deploying capital, understanding what their process is, and making an assessment of that process. What we look to do is validate that process with quantitative analysis. So does the excess return profile And when I say excess return, I mean the performance of that manager relative to their benchmark. Does it align with their process? Let me use an example. If you have a bottom-up manager uh, who, you know, their goal is to win from stock selection, but all of their return has come from one big sector bet, that portfolio likely has less what we call breadth to their outperformance, which means there was one view that worked very, very well. And the question you have to ask yourself is, can they repeatedly get one view right? And so what we focus on is, you know, what is the breadth of their alpha exposure? What is the consistency and persistency of that alpha exposure? And is it consistent with their process? And typically, when we find managers that have done well historically and have done well for the reasons that they're you know, seeking to do well and have done that repeatedly with breadth, you can have more confidence that that manager will continue to outperform over time. And so I think that's really important is to understand the why in terms of outperformance as opposed to just simply focusing on, you know, the fact that the manager outperformed. And that's advice that we always give, you know, to to investors is really understand what the drivers are to performance and if they're sustainable. 
So you're not just using a Morningstar rating. We are not. <laughs> no, we are not. Yeah, I mean, that is, I think that's yep. a challenge for many, right? Many investors oftentimes want to look backwards and oftentimes we're contrarian. You know, sometimes we've hired managers that have really underperformed recently, but we understand why. I mean, that's the case for many of the deep value managers through the end of 2020 have a really, really tough time. And, you know, if you understand that, you know, for many of them, it was environmental, uh, but they stayed true to their strategy. Actually, you've been rewarded over the past, you know, 12 months or so or 18 months. Yeah. One more quick aside on like a Morningstar rating or any sort of risk adjustment measure, of course. So, you know, a lot of people regretfully do primarily make those decisions, but on those return over risk equations, I mean, the denominator risk does have some persistence over time, generally speaking. But of course, the enumerator, the return, tends to be cyclical over time. So, you know, often many investors are kind of chasing performance or hurting themselves. So anyway, another question, I think this is, I've never asked this question on a podcast and I'm actually kind of excited to ask it because I think a lot of our listeners currently serve on investment committees of some sort, or many of our listeners someday will serve on investment committee. So you've been around a lot of investment committees. So what recommendations or resources do you have regarding best practices for investment committees? Yeah. So, you know, I'll start with governance, right? Because that is the purpose of an investment committee. And so when I say governance, I'm talking about, you know, the documentation associated with what is the objective of the committee? What does it govern at the end of the day? How are decisions made? And what is the composition? It's really important that investors have, you know, what we call a charter for that investment committee. So at Wilshire, you know, we have charters for all of our committees, frankly, but for the investment committee, you want to have a charter that really drives, you know, and governs that group and how it makes decisions. So that's very important that you have that and you have the membership documented. The other very important element that I think is frankly critical is documentation around those decisions. So whether it's rationale docs, very specific notes, but you want to understand why you made this, those decisions, what informed those decisions, and have the documentation around that. So if you ever have to refer back to that information, you can do so and understand why the decisions were made in the context and considerations of portfolio structure, investment rationale, et cetera. So I think those are two very important elements but, you know, membership and the decision makers are really important as well. And you want to make sure that you have people who are part of that decision making process that truly, you know, understand the elements that are important. And by the way, that may include client service folks and operational folks, you know, having people involved in the decisions to understand what are the client considerations, what are the operational considerations, how we should we be thinking about them in terms of our decisions can also be really, really important. Well, let's switch gears to some of our go-to questions here on the show. First, on your personal investment philosophy, how much does the way that you invest personally differ, if at all, from how you manage money professionally? Well, I would say there's a lot of consistency, right? So you always want to make sure, I think, that you know the way that you're thinking about um, deploying capital, you know, would you, how would you feel about your own money being put behind that capital as well? And so, you know, I, I have an aggressive risk profile personally. So I would fall, you know, if you think about a, you know, target risk portfolio structure, conservative through aggressive, I don't own any fixed income in my portfolios today. And I'm, you know, very aggressively, you know, more aggressively positioned, you know, I perhaps have the ability to, to deploy some 
you know, hedging tactics in my portfolios as well from a derivative exposure perspective that maybe, you know, traditional investors may not. But at the end of the day, I tend to be a risk-seeking investor. And, you know, in environments like this for my own personal portfolio, you know, I think it's an interesting time to be taking equity risk if you have a long-term outlook. You know, you have the, you know, financial wherewithal to kind of stomach the volatility that, that may come with this type of environment. But I'm definitely at the on the aggressive end. I always love that question. I mean, it's just so powerful to hear how people who've been managing money for so many years are investing. So so another question that we like to ask is kind of shifting gears again a little bit is in our profession, we all have an obligation to perform at a high level. So how do you maintain your health or your wellness, both physical and mental, to ensure you're performing at a high level? Yeah, that's I couldn't agree more with you, Rusty. And you know, I will say that you know, both mental and physical health is extremely important. And so I'm very disciplined about my diet, how I eat, what I eat, what I put in my body. I think it it impacts, frankly, your stress levels, how you feel every day. Um, you know, look, we work in a high stress industry, quite frankly. So you want to have good cardiovascular health. You want to have a clear mind. So I try and eat the foods that help facilitate that. The other element is just exercise. You know, I swim about 1500 meters about five days a week. And I do a lot of, you know, you know, so I do some weight training in addition to that. But that is for me, a really great way to start your day. And if you can't start your day that way, oftentimes, if you can carve out 30 minutes or an hour in the middle of your day, uh, which is hard for us, but if you prioritize it, and you make it a priority. Uh, I mean, we are in this world working at all hours of the day, I think with the you know, evolution of technology and Zoom, et cetera, carving out even 30 minutes or an hour in the middle of your day can actually be a really, really great recharge and a great way to de-stress and clear your head. And so you know, I'm a big believer of that. And I will tell you, uh, I always encourage my team to do the same. So I would never complain if somebody said, hey, I'm gonna step away for an hour and go for a run or jump on the bike or go for a swim. I think it's really important for mental and physical health. That's a great idea. Yeah. All right. One more before we let you go. Do you have any recommendations for what advisors and investors should be reading, listening to, talking books, podcasts, anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I'll, I'll name a you know book or two here that I think have been valuable for me personally and professionally. You know, I do read obviously news every day, all day, you have Bloomberg on my screen, you know, but you know, the challenge with media in general is it tends to sensationalize the news that readers really want to read. And, you know, I will tell you, particularly financial news, oftentimes, you know, in environments like this, every piece of news that you read in, in financial news will be bearish, right? And it will talk about controversial, you know, probabilities of recession, likelihood of another 30% drawdown, you know, it's hard to find a good piece of news. And, and that's very dangerous in terms of tunnel vision, right? If that's all you read. You can often find that that will impact your mood. I mean, if I take you back to COVID, if you read all the financial news in COVID, it was all very, very bearish. But if you took a moment to step away from that and look at the liquidity metrics and understand what was actually going on, on underneath the hood in terms of drivers of, of performance, that's really important. And so, you know, reading other forms of media to get different perspectives on, you know, how people are spending, talking to people, looking around on a day-to-day -day basis, I think is important, but also reading books that I think teach you 
lessons in life about, you know, randomness, for example, you know, a book that I read you know, a few years ago that I think is a fantastic book is called The Drunkard's Walk. It's a guy by the name of Leonard Mlodnow. And it doesn't just focus on the financial services industry, but really calls attention to the randomness in life in terms of how much on a day-to-day basis is really a function of things that, you know, where we perceive there was a, a cause and effect element when in reality, a lot of it is just very random. And it could be the management of a company and the success of the manager, you know, it could be in financial services. But I think just you know, being humble about randomness in life is really important. You know, another book that I've, I've read that I think is fantastic is Blink by Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, which is a, a great book in terms of kind of the kind of instinctive decision that many investors make. And it's always good to kind of think through decisions, but I think instinct is really important. And trusting your decisions is very important. And oftentimes that first decision you know, that gut instinct can be the right, you know, or is the right decision. And particularly for people who have that kind of instinctive nature. So, you know, those are the types of books, you know, just, you know, being self-aware behavioral types of books that I think help inform how we make decisions going forward. Robin, have you read Blink? No, I haven't. I've had that recommended so many times and it's Mm -hmm. not even that long of a read and I have not read it either. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one, Rusty. I really recommend picking that one up. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, Josh. Thanks so much for coming on the show and tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about what you're doing at Wilshire. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Rusty. Again, it's been a pleasure being here. You know, you can always visit our website, uh, www.wilshire.com, you know, learn more about our, our services and solutions. You can also sign up for you know distribution lists associated with things like the Monday Market Flash that you referenced earlier and or our collateral. We're also very active on LinkedIn and social media. So you can see you know a lot of the publications and podcasts that we provide as well. So feel free to look us up on, on LinkedIn. And Josh, I would also like to say thank you. And something else I, I would like to point out in here at Orion, of course, on our at Orion Portfolio Solutions, we work with dozens of different investment managers, but our longest standing relationship is with Wilshire and it goes back over 20 years. So thank you for the partnership. And again, thank you for your time today. Thank you. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.